Okay, wonderful. Well, let me just first off start off by saying um, I just wanted to honor um, Chris, and I know Gabrielle is not here, but both of them, uh, because I want you guys to see that they have asked, you know, a group of people from our community to, like, lead and to teach, and that's just not a common thing that we see in the American church, and so I just wanted to honor Chris um, for seeing, like, the giftings of, of me and other people in our group and just asking us um, to teach. It's a big deal. And Chris especially, Chris has known me since I was 16 years old. Um, so Chris has known me for a long time, um, and Chris has been faithful to pour into me and to love me through a lot of good times and through a lot of bad times. And so I just wanted to start there and thank Chris um, and honor him. But yeah, as Chris said, I'm just going to be talking about the simple gospel. Um, just so you guys know, I just got back from LA. Did y'all hear that there was a group of some young adults and some students who were in Los Angeles. Yeah, so there was a group of students and young adults. Some of them were Joseph, Josiah, Becca's in here also. We were the young adults kind of on the team. Ava was also there, if you know Ava. Um, and I just watched this week as God gripped our hearts um, with the simplicity of the gospel and how simple and how, not necessarily how easy it is, but how simple it is to share the gospel with people. And actually the power is not in our presentation, but the power is in a, a simple gospel which holds so much power. And so we're going to be looking at John 3, which like Chris said, is a, is a very clear depiction of the heart of God. It's very black and white. Um, it's very easy to see what Jesus is trying to say. Um, and so I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray before we get into it. Um, and I'm going to pray, I'm going to read this first before I pray. This comes from Ephesians uh, 1. This is something that Paul prays over the church of Ephesus. Um, starting in verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being, in, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Um, so let me just pray. Jesus, God, we love you. And Lord, we are, we are thankful for the gospel. And we thank you, God, that your gospel is simple. That we don't have to know everything. We don't have to uh, be a level 10 Christian. We don't have to know all the answers. You just say, follow me. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask tonight that you would reveal the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel to us tonight. There's nothing new or profound that I'll be teaching, but simply the hope that we have. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray, just like Paul, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know the hope of this glory. And so, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for being here. And I just ask that my heart, that each of our hearts would just be open to your gospel and that we would fall in love with it. God, would you grip our hearts with the love of Jesus, with the love of this gospel, that there is nothing else like it. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, so Chris already touched on it a little bit, but it's just some context um, for John 3 is we have Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. It says that Nicodemus kind of like in the nighttime, probably because he didn't want to be seen by people uh, because his crew did not like Jesus. So he's going to Jesus and he's asking questions. He was a Pharisee, so he's a teacher of the law. He's someone who the Jewish people would have seen as wise and able to, to teach the scriptures. Um, and so that's kind of where we're picking up. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, um, but I am going to start in John 3. 
and we're going to start in verse 10, and I'm going to read right now through 17. So if you want to open your Bible, um, if you're taking notes, like Chris said, um, we're talking about the simplicity of the gospel, that this gospel is simple, but it is mighty to save. Um, And its power does not come from us, but simply in its message. So let me just read this. This is John 3, starting in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, that the world through him might be saved. Okay, wonderful. So Jesus is answering Nicodemus, um, and he gives this really profound uh, revelation statement of the gospel. And we're going to go through this chapter, and I believe that there's three things um, and we're going to be just discussing three things that, about the heart of God that is revealed uh, through what Jesus is saying right here. And the first and foremost, the simplicity of the gospel, we learn that God's motivation, his motivation in sending Jesus is for no other reason than love. We see it in verse 16. It's because he so loved the world. It wasn't because someone twisted his hand. It wasn't like there was another being that was like, hey, you should do this. Like, no, God really loves us. And he loved us enough that he would send his son and that Jesus would live and die and be crucified and resurrected so that we can have life. And I think it's important because if you don't understand, if we don't understand that God loves us, we will live as slaves and we'll live as servants trying to serve him, but we won't actually be sons and daughters. And you see, if you look at this, he says that everyone in verse 18, he says, he who believes in me is not condemned. That's the reality of every believer. But we will never step into that if we don't realize that God wants us to get what we don't deserve. Like what we deserve is hell and separation from him, but God's going, no, I don't want you to get what you deserve. That's why he sends Jesus. And he says, if you will trust in him, you will experience eternal life. So his motivation is love. There's no other reason. It's because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're like, but Stephen, I've done a lot of bad stuff. I don't care what that is. Jesus' love is unconditional and it's for you every single day. Secondly, uh, we, I see the second thing that I see is God's desire. If we look in verse 17, we see that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So what is that saying? God's desire is for the entire world to experience salvation. God's desire is for every single person that you're walking by, your friend at school, your friend at your job, to experience the salvation and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so that's his desire. We see it in uh, 2 Peter also. You can look. There's other parts of Scripture. But this makes it so clear that God wants the world to be saved. It's not some people. It's not good people. It's all people. 
every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And so that should do something in us. And I think if we're, if we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, his motivation, right? His motivation is love and his desire is that all would be saved. Then the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, is, is it's how. How has God chosen to accomplish this desire that he has? Because we just read it. It's very clear that his desire is that every single person would come to a saving faith of knowing Jesus. And I'm going to continue to read. We're going to skip ahead, and I'm going to look at John uh, 3, starting in verse 27. Um, and I'm just going to read this. This is a little bit of context for this. As Chris said, I'll just repeat it. John the Baptist was like the person baptizing. He was the man. Everyone was coming to him. Jesus shows up on the scene. Everyone's going to Jesus. His disciples are bickering with the Pharisees. They're like, yo, like, John, do you realize that everyone's going to him, not to us? What are you going to do about it? And John gives this response. This is what he responds to them. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the, who, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so we see... And this is, this is the third thing. This is a very simple message. There's nothing necessarily complicated about this, and that's actually my heart, is that you would see how simple this is, that God's method to bring about this plan of salvation is us. Is it's you, and it's me, and in this case, it was John the Baptist. What is John saying? He's saying, you, you have testified that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have, be sent, I have been sent before him. And you see, John had the privilege of preparing the world for Jesus' first coming, right? John had the privilege of, of going into the people and saying, repent and be baptized for the kingdom is coming, right? And so Jesus shows up on the scene and everything that John had been teaching is fulfilled. But now us, we have the privilege, the opportunity to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ, because this is what the Bible says. It says that Jesus is coming back in glory, and he's going to return. Uh, he's going to return for his people, for his saints. And so we get the opportunity to prepare people for the for the second coming of Jesus Christ, which we don't really know when that is. But the bottom line is that God has called us in the same way that He called John the Baptist. God is looking at each one of us today, and He's called us to be a messenger. See, John carried a message. He said, repent for the kingdom is here. We get to carry the same message. Repent for Jesus is coming again. And so I, I want to talk about John the Baptist for a second because I think it's important for us to realize who John the Baptist really was and what he was kind of like. And maybe we can get a greater opportunity to understand uh, the fact that it's not really about us. Because if you look at John the Baptist, I don't think we would ever want John the Baptist to speak up here. The dude literally lived in the wilderness. He was dressed in camel's hair. He, he ate locusts, locusts. The dude ate bugs and he ate honey and that was his daily diet. And he probably, the way that I think about John the Baptist is he probably like had the crazy long hair. He probably like looked like a homeless person, raggedy clothes. He, he wasn't impressive to look at. 
And you know, if you actually look at him, you'd go, why would God pick someone like that? Like, but it says in the Bible that there was a steady stream of people coming to him. Was it because John the Baptist was so beautiful and he was so amazing? No, it was because he was bringing the simple message of the gospel. And the world needs to hear the gospel. And you see, I, I, I watched this week um, as me and the, the rest of our team had the opportunity to, to share the gospel and to love people and to, to, to encourage people in their faith. Uh, I watched as God used the people like me uh, who are, I'm very extroverted. I love talking to people. If you know Landon Miller, uh, Landon Miller is like a huge extrovert. We'll talk to anyone. And I watched him use those type of people, the people that we normally think are the ones that are like, man, the preacher, the person who can stand on stage and talk to a lot of people. Like God will use that person, but we don't think that he can use us in our own giftings and our own talents. And it was so beautiful. And I, I, I asked them to use them as an example. But Josiah and Joseph both would tell you that they are introverted, that they do not necessarily enjoy talking to people. But I watched as God used them in such a powerful way to share the gospel. And I think that there's people in here today that have not stepped into their calling as a messenger because you simply think that God can't use you. You think, oh, I'm not extroverted enough. You think, and you have all these excuses. I, I don't know what it might be for you. It might be because you're like, man, I'm not extroverted enough. I'm not cool enough. I don't have the right words. I don't know enough. But the power of the gospel is not in its presentation. It's not like my personality will not save anyone. Like this message, like I really don't care how like well my speaking is or how like pretty the presentation is because my presentation will not save anyone. It's the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is the Holy Spirit that stirs people to come to repentance and to trust in Jesus. And you see, you see all through the Bible that God has a habit of picking people that the world would never pick. You look at Moses. Moses had a speaking problem. You look at David. David literally wasn't even brought in by his father when they were trying to pick the king because he was the youngest and he was the shepherd. No one thought that David could ever be used. You look at the woman at the well. I'm not trying to steal John 4. I'm just using it as an example. Like the woman at the well, why would Jesus pick her? She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. It, it doesn't make sense, but God used her to change her entire city and bring them to Jesus. The 12 disciples, you look at them, they weren't rabbis, they weren't teachers, they were fishermen. They were everyday people. They were actually the people you probably didn't want to pick because they were probably young and didn't know a lot and were inexperienced. But Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you. And he didn't make them go through seminary. He didn't make them go through any formal training. He simply modeled for them the gospel and then gave them the authority and taught them how to share it. Let's look at the women. The women were the first testimonies that Jesus was alive. See, in that culture, it made no sense for, for God to pick the women to be the first ones to testify, simply because in the culture, women didn't have the uh, quote-unquote authority, but Jesus still chose to use them. And so after this week, I've become more convinced in my heart that the power of the gospel is not in your personality, it's not in your confidence to share it, but it's simply the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance. It's simply a simple message brought about by the Holy Spirit 
that is powerful enough to change any heart. And so I think what God is saying tonight and what he's inviting you into is he's inviting you to lay aside any excuse that you've given him to not live on mission. Whether that's, God, I, I, I don't know enough. Whether that's, um, God, I, 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 I'm not smart enough. I'm not extroverted enough. I don't have words. I don't, God doesn't care. And he actually says that if you will trust him, he'll use your life. And I watched it this week as there was, our team was from 16 to 21. That was kind of the age range. And I watched as these like 16-year-old, 17-year-old girls and guys just shared the gospel with incredible boldness. And it wasn't that they're the most extroverted people, but as they went, God, I'm gonna give you a yes and I'm gonna allow you to use it. And so I, I, I wanted to share um, something that we did. Uh, this was on the first day we got to go around and go into different uh, Buddhist temples. We went into a Muslim mosque. And the goal was to survey the land and to just see, like, what are the strongholds here? What are these people believing? What are, how are we going to reach these people? And one of the things that, that we did is we went to this cemetery, um, and it was, a, it was a Muslim cemetery. And so we were looking at all these gravestones, um, these people who followed Islam to the day that they died, and they just said, we want you to just walk around, and we want you to look at these gravestones, and we just want you to see um, what God's going to teach you through this. And so I just, I, I began to walk around on my own, and I began to look at these gravestones, these names of, of people I've never met, um, of people who are spending eternity apart from Jesus, and they're just lined, hundreds and hundreds, and hundreds. I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and my heart is breaking because I'm looking at these people, and I'm like, they, they, they didn't know Jesus. And, I, and then later, the next day, we spent some time praying for unreached people groups, and um, there's, there's a 1040 window, the latitude and longitude, where there's 3.5 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And there's 3.5, and there's probably millions of people who are dying and they never heard the name of Jesus in their entire life, which is a tragedy. It's horrible. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he was like, Stephen, those people to you, they're a name on a plaque. They're a name that you never met. That name doesn't mean anything to you. You're looking at these numbers. They're a statistic to you. But he was like, to me, I knit them together. To me, I formed them and I've called them by name, and I wanted them to be my children. And I said, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm encouraging, and I'm encouraging us tonight um, to lay down our lives for the gospel um, because this gospel is powerful enough to save anyone. And it's not that you have to be good enough. You don't have to clean yourself up. Um, where you're at right now, God wants to use you. If it's at your job, if it's at your school, God wants to use you. He wants to use you and he wants to use me to bring hope to the world. Do we understand that, that we're the hope of the world, that apart from Jesus, there's no hope? And we carry it, we carry the hope of the world. Um, and it's incredible and it's amazing. And so I, I, I wanted this to be simple because I, I want you to see that God will use your life if you will simply give him access and if you will simply give him a yes. And so I, I, I want to challenge us. I'm not going to give a specific invitation, but we're going to go back into some more worship. Um, and I, I just want you 
to respond however the Holy Spirit leads you. But I think if we're, if we're looking, you know, at, at, the, at the life of Jesus, and we, we went through three things. God's motivation is love. That's why Jesus came, love. His desire is that every person would experience salvation, and his method is to use us to proclaim it. And so I think that one, if you're like, I, I don't really know how to respond, I would say evaluate um, yourself with that, with that thing and go, okay, God, is my motivation love in everything that I'm doing? If someone was to look at my life right now, would they see that my highest desire above everything else is that everyone that I'm in contact with would know the hope of Jesus? And have you accepted the method? Have you accepted that God wants to use you and have you allowed him to use you? Um, I'll give an invitation uh, if you're in here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've never, you know, you might be, you might have been raised in church. Uh, You might have, you know, your great-great-grandfather might have been a pastor. It doesn't save you. There's a decision that all of us have to make for ourselves, and it's to trust in Jesus. And if you will simply touch the gospel, and in James it talks about how there's, there, he says, you believe the gospel, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And I think that there's a lot of people, and it's increasing frequency in our culture, that people acknowledge Jesus' ability to save, but they don't actually believe him to give them a new life. What do I mean? If you're drowning in an ocean, and there's a rock, acknowledging that the rock can save you doesn't do you any good. Acknowledging that the rock can save you literally does nothing. The rock doesn't actually save you until you touch it and you put your life on it. It's the same thing with Jesus. Acknowledging that Jesus saves you, doesn't, can save you, doesn't do you any good, you have to touch the gospel. And when you touch the cross, you will never be the same. And so if that's, if that's you tonight, if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit that you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to just find someone and ask them if they would pray with you um, and tell them of the decision that you made. Um, I didn't read this part of the passage, um, but maybe you simply need to repent of sin and confess to a friend. Um, then, and I'll just read it really quickly. It'll be better this way. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So maybe um, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but you're walking in darkness and you're walking with hidden sin, and God is asking if you would bring that into the light. And this is what the Bible says. If we look a couple verses up, it says that there is no condemnation. And so condemnation and guilt and shame is what makes us keep our sin and what makes us hide it and shove it. But when we realize that we're going to be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus, we actually have the freedom and the power to bring things into the light. And so if there's something going on in your life that no one else knows about, or there's a sin that you're struggling with, I would just encourage you to, to bring that to the light tonight and allow God to heal your heart and ask someone to pray with you. Um, but this is my main challenge, is uh, I just want us to be a missional community. I want us to live our lives in such a way that, that all are coming to know Jesus. I want, I want us to be making disciples. And so it's not a, um, 
how do I say this? You know, when I started really following Jesus, I got really scared. I was like, okay, is God going to like, if I say yes, is he going to like ask me to like stand in front of a thousand people randomly and just start sharing the gospel? And I was freaked out. And what I realized um, is that God never goes zero to a hundred. He simply takes us step by step. Um, And so there's some of you in here who you've never shared the gospel with someone. Maybe the step that you need to take tonight is you see someone else in this community who knows how to share their gospel, and you just need to grab them and be like, hey, would you take me? Would you show me, like, what that can look like? Um, I'm not saying that you need to, like, get in front of a thousand people and, 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 and share the gospel, but I am saying that this is the call of every believer, this is not something that's to the side. I think sometimes in church, we kind of do this thing where we just come and we listen, um, but we don't actually obey. And obedience is simply what it means to be a Christian. And making disciples is what it means to be a Christian. So if we're not making disciples, we're being disobedient, you know? And I'm, and I'm saying that to myself too, because I look at my life and I'm like, man, where can I make disciples better? How can I, how can I do that? And so we're going to get back into worship. I'm talking too much. But my challenge is for you to take one step in living missionally this week. Take one step and ask the Holy Spirit, what is that step? Maybe there's a coworker that needs to hear the gospel and God's been asking you to share, but you haven't been willing. Um, maybe you just need to make a list of all the people in your life who are far from God and go, I'm going to pray for them every single day. And I'm going to begin to pray that God would change their hearts. Um, maybe you just literally, like I said, um, you need to find someone in this community who is equipped and ready to share the gospel and say, hey, hey, teach me. Like, let's say, let's say I see Austin, and I'm like, Austin knows how to share the gospel. I've seen him do it. He knows how to make a disciple. Austin, can we go out together sometime this week, and, and you can show me what, what it looks like? That's discipleship. Discipleship is that you're not in this alone. And those who are strong and those of you who are in here who are confident in sharing the gospel, who do know how to make a disciple, it's actually our responsibility and your responsibility to help those who maybe don't know how. That's the kingdom. It's multiplication. It's those helping each other so that then they can go and do it themselves. It's not just like you're the best one, so you're going to demonstrate how awesome you are and everyone can look up to you. You're actually supposed to reach down and pull others up to where you are. Um, And so that's my challenge. I want you guys to write down one thing, one thing, one goal of how you could share the gospel this week, one way of how you can make one step. I don't care if that step is a leap or a bound or a jump or just like the tiniest step. Like make a step to live on mission this week and watch what God will do. Um, because his heart, his love, um, is, is, is an action. See, if God would have just left us being like, oh, I love them, but he actually let his love become an action, and that action sent Jesus to the cross. And so if we say that we love God, we need our love to be something that's actually an action. And so if our love is not being motivated and moved to action, there's something that we're missing. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. If we love him, we will obey him. And so let me just pray. Um, and I want you guys to respond however the Holy Spirit's leading you. Um, but yeah, write that one goal down of how you can share the gospel, of how you can live on mission this week. So let me just pray. <sighs> Holy Spirit, we thank you. God, Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that through the gospel we have hope and we have life. And so God, I ask that you would convict our hearts of where we're just living selfish, of where we're just living for ourselves. 
And God, would you give us opportunities? Would you show us how we can live on mission for you? God, the command of every, every, every person is to make disciples. Every believer, we're called to make disciples. If we're not making disciples, we're living disobedient. And that just shouldn't produce guilt or shame because there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, thank you that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we confess and as we repent tonight, thank you that we can do it with joy because you will forgive us and you will equip us and you will lead us in how to share the gospel and how to make disciples. And if that's terrifying and if that's scary, Holy Spirit, help us. Would you come be perfect? And if even that is scary and terrifying, would we just grab someone else and go, I don't know how to do this, but I see that you do. Would you help me to do the things that you know how to do? Would you equip me in how to share the gospel? Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our, our first love. And we want to love you with, with our words, with our actions, with our sacrifice. So we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.